My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you are listening to Repeating History. History, 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 history. Hello, boys and girls, and also ladies and gentlemen, and also, also dudes and lady dudes, and also, also, also anybody who doesn't give a shit about binary gender roles, because everybody's welcome here. How are you? At this point, I like to imagine that all of you inside of your head said, I'm doing very well, thank you. Wow, that's so good to hear. My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you are listening to a brand new podcast called Repeating History. Wow, thanks for checking it out, guys. That's pretty neat of you. This first episode is going to be kind of a a little warm-up. We're just going to dip your toes in and get you used to the kind of storytelling I'm going to be doing, and also the type of story you can come to expect. As these episodes go on, They're going to amp up a little bit. This first one comes to us from our guy, Herodotus, from Halicarnassus. So, without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Now, I bet when I say the name Candales, all these foggy memories from a distant past come flooding to the forefront of your mind, right? Eh, maybe not. Well, probably not, actually. But I doubt that that's your fault. I want to make it so the next time you're mingling at a party, you can remember this story and you can tell all your friends. Because let me tell you something here, bud. Nothing wows people like obscure historical facts. So why don't you guys just think about me as like your cool history teacher from high school. The one who alludes to the fact that on the weekends, he still smokes a little bit of pot. Except, I don't. Anyway, today's episode takes place in the late 7th century BCE, in the ancient kingdom of Lydia, with a guy named Candales and his best bud, Gyges. But before I get too far into that story, I want to share one from my own life that kind of mirrors this one. And at the end, I'll tie it all together and you'll say, Dang, dude, that was really good foresight. And I'll say, Yeah, duh, I planned it that way. Back in the day, I was hanging out with one of my friends at his house, and we were just chatting casually, and then, halfway through, he stopped answering me. I looked at him, and I noticed that he's just looking at his phone with one of those stupid little grins that a kid gets when he has a secret. I say something along the lines of, Hey dude, what the fuck? At which point, he, without any hesitation, turns his phone and shows me a photograph of his then-wife, topless. I couldn't help but think, Yikes, that is a major betrayal of trust. And, you know, possibly the reason that they're divorced now, but who am I to say? It got me thinking. This kind of act is clearly nothing new. I mean, the whole telephone and photograph part, you know, that's a little more modern. But the betrayal in general, 
that's something that's been happening since probably before we recorded history. It also made me think back to the previously mentioned story by Herodotus. I'm sure most, if not all of us, over the age of, I don't know, a high schooler, have had to deal with someone who's just a little bit too into a new relationship. It's the type of person who you show a song to and they say, yeah, but my partner doesn't really like that band, so I'm not really into it. And you have to sit there thinking for the rest of the song, yeah, I guess that's a rational thought for a crazy person. That position sucks butts. (laughs) No one wants to be there. But imagine if that dude was your king. In this story, that guy's name is Candales, and he's the ruler of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. Candales has a best friend who also happens to be a part of his armed guard. His name is Gyges. Candales often blurs the lines of friendship and kingship by saying things like, Oh, dude, if you could see my wife, like, you would just be on the floor. She's such a babe. 11 out of 10, you know what I'm saying? And that puts Gyges in a situation where he has to just be like, Oh, yeah, um, that, uh, that, that, that sounds about right. She's, she's pretty neat. You're very lucky. And then, you know, Candales just kind of pokes and prods at him and is like, no, dude, you have no idea how hot my wife is. If she were a president, she'd be Baberham Lincoln. Now, obviously, I don't think I need to say this, but he didn't really say that because this is pretty before Lincoln's time. There's one group of people who are not allowed to see the queen naked. Can you guess who that is? Well, the answer is simple. It's everybody who's not the king. Not that hard of a concept to grasp, right? But Candales, in a pretty fuckboy-ish move, is like, hey, I think I have a plan for you to see my wife naked. Gyges obviously is like, no, 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 no. I think that's a pretty bad idea. I can definitely take your word for it. To which Candales replies, Dude, you can't trust your ears the same way that you could trust your eyes when it comes to seeing a beautiful lady, you know? Kind of being a, you know, dickhead. I imagine he's doing that, like, kind of shit-eating grin and shaking his shoulders, maybe elbowing Gyges, and Gyges is like, Fuck, there's no way I'm gonna get out of this because Candales doesn't really understand the true dynamic of their friendship. I'm not saying that Gyges doesn't like Candales, but he kind of has to because he literally lords over Gyges. I imagine there are some last-ditch efforts by Gyges to try to dissuade the king, but they don't work. So Candales probably claps him on the shoulder and puts him down in a chair, maybe a little too aggressively, that's how I like to imagine it at least, and says, all right, bud, here's the plan. When me and my wife go up to our bedchamber tonight to go to bed, I want you to hide behind the door. I'll crawl onto the bed like a sexy panther and get her going. Afterwards, she'll start to take her clothing off one piece at a time and lay it on the couch. That's when you can sneak a few peeks, you know? After the tension is just built up so high and the seduction has been laid on thick, she'll come crawling over to the bed. 
probably walking, not crawling. But she'll come over to the bed. At that point, I want you to sneak out unbeknownst to her. Gaijis was probably like, this idea sucks. <laughs> but it's not like he could do much about it. The king had his mind set, and, you know, when that happens, I guess you just gotta follow through with that shit sometimes. And that's exactly what Gaiji does. He goes up to the room and hides behind the door. And just like Kendale says, the queen comes up and starts to remove one piece of clothing at a time. The reason that I keep mentioning one piece at a time is because that's how Herodotus puts it, and I think it's funny. If I wrote the story, I'd have her go up there in like a cool Adidas tracksuit and then look at the king and be like, you ready for this? Bananan, and then rip the tracksuit off in one go. But, you know, I didn't write this story, so whatever, I guess. After the queen takes off her multiple piece tracksuit, she turns around and starts to head towards the bed. At that point, Gyges tries to escape undetected, but makes a noise which makes, you know, a whole lot of sense because there's no iPods or movies playing in the background, so obviously the queen's gonna notice. I don't know how they didn't think about that one. And guess what? She does notice. But she acts like she doesn't because she's cold and calculative, which I admire greatly. I'm sure she had some sort of idea that maybe Gyges wasn't really behind this, and that it was probably the idea of her kind of douchebaggy husband, Candales. So she plays it cool and lets him be a weird sex panther anyways, because she has some revenge in mind. The next morning, the queen summons Gyges. I like to imagine that this takes place in the garden, because I think that's a really nice place to plot. I could just be, you know, taking this story and placing it in other historical events, but it's my podcast and you're going to listen to it, okay? So the queen looks at him as he walks up and just shakes her head and says, Gyges, 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 you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> Man, she might not have said that. I'm just assuming. But she says, why did you do that, man? I know what you did. I saw you. Don't even try to lie right now. And Gaiji's obviously knows that he's busted. So he's like, okay, yeah, I'm super, super sorry. I just, I just had to catch a glimpse, you know? And the queen's like, uh-uh, dude. I know that you didn't want to catch a glimpse because you're not a fucking fool. This is clearly the work of Candales. And I imagine there was a little bit of back and forth, but eventually Gaiji's rats out his friend and is like, yeah, man, okay, it was, it was Candales, like, he was just telling me how beautiful you are because he loves you so much, he was doing this because he loves you, but the queen's no fool, so she's like, well, it's just really too bad, Gyges. At this point, you know, she puts on her mobster glasses, and she's cracking her knuckles, and maybe there are some other people behind her just kind of, like, staring Gyges down, and she says, it's too bad, really, because... Only one person's allowed to see me naked, and that's the king. And you, sir, are no king. But my husband, who's a total dickhead, is the king. Huh, what should we do? Oh, I actually have an idea. Why don't you kill Candales, and then you can become the king and the rightful person who gets to see me naked? 
Or, I guess, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, you could uh, kill yourself pronto. At this point, I like to imagine that Gaiji's pees his proverbial genes. Once again, he's stuck pleading with a person who he really doesn't have much room to plead with. After a little bit of persuasion, he decides that he's going to kill Candales and become the king himself. Now, conveniently enough, the queen already has a plan in mind. She gives Gaiji's a dagger and says, I want you to go up to our room and hide behind that same door that you hid behind to see me naked. And when the king goes to bed, I just want you to sneak up and kill him. You know, give him a little stabbing while he's snoozing. How's that for karmic justice? So Gaijus follows the plan and kills the king. Now, I always wish that this part had a little bit more detail to it because if you're anything like me, you like that gory stuff. And I know it's weird, but everybody listens to serial killer shit and nobody judges them, so stop acting holier than me, please. The queen is happy because she's been avenged. Gaijis is probably, I don't know, at least moderately happy. He's the king now. But the Lydian people, yeah, not so pumped. Which makes a lot of sense because, you know, historically speaking, even tyrants are mourned when they're dead. I guess people just like nationalism because they think that their ruler is a good ruler, even if he's, you know, totally a dickhead. That's not exactly a, uh, a comment on the current status here in America, but it's also not not a comment, you know? Anyway, on with the story. So the Lydian people are pretty pissed, and they're starting to have some rumbling of a possible civil war at hand because some of them are just not backing Gaijis as king. Someone in Gaijis' camp, or possibly Gaijis himself, comes up with the great idea of visiting the oracle at Delphi. You know, the old saying goes, when in doubt, oracle it out. Maybe, that was, that's probably not a saying, but, you know, for modern sensibility, it rhymes, and that's cool. But anyway, they go visit the oracle, and they say, yeah, you can totally be the king, man, like, we support you. But I want to warn you that in five generations, eh, things are not going to go very well for your family. Now, Gaijis, in a similar fashion to the way that the baby boomers didn't give a shit about my generation, said, eh, fuck it, that's not my problem to deal with. And so Gaijis and the rest of the Lydians just kind of continued on their merry way. Gaijis gives a pretty substantial donation to the oracle, which seems to be standard practice at the time. You know, just a little bit of thanks for stopping the civil war and letting me become king money. And he goes back home and starts to party. And he's like, yeah, party, party at Lydia. Don't tell my parents. And everything just kind of goes on like that for a while. Now, I don't want to spoil future episodes too much, but in five generations from now, Things are for sure going to go to shit for that family. Gaijis ruled from about 687 to 652 BCE, but he didn't do a whole lot of noteworthy shit in that time. He captured Colophon, but everything else was pretty much just keeping people at bay. Eventually he dies in battle, and his empty throne is taken up by his son, Ardis. 
So there you have it, people. One betrayal ends in a divorce, and another ends in a grisly murder by your best friend, who then in turn takes your kingdom and marries your wife, and has kids with her. Hmm. Times have really changed. Anyway, I want to thank you all for listening to that first episode. My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you are listening to Repeating History. This episode was written and produced by me, Jonathan Penchoff. Theme music composed by Dave Regan. And once again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time, guys.